0: Given the opportunity to tell people about Christ, what would you say? Well, here in Acts 13, starting in verse 14, we see Paul get that opportunity, and we can learn a lot from what he chose to say.
1: We're back in Acts today. Lord willing, we're going to get through the rest of chapter 13, although I make no promises. Um, But For those of you who don't know or are new to this, the book of Acts was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a companion of Paul's. Uh, Paul was an apostle, a missionary uh, in the first century um, to the the Gentiles primarily, uh, to the Jews also. And and Acts is a book that, Acts is about what? Acts is about facts, right? Acts is a history book. It's about facts, not stories, not legends, facts. Detailed, detail-oriented Facts from eyewitness accounts. That is what Acts is. And the really cool thing about Acts is that it's the story of the early church, but in some sense, the stories in Acts are continuing to this moment in this room right here. What are we hearing about in Acts? They go to to a church service. They meet with the people. They say these things. People get saved. This has continued to happen for 2,000 years. It's still happening. It's happening right now, right here. So the cool thing about Acts is, is that at some level we're still in Acts. You might have noticed the name of the church, right? And so there's a reason for that. We didn't just think it would be easy to use four letters. Um, But, so that's what Acts is. Acts has a lot of descriptive, hey, here's what happened. It also has some prescriptive, here's what you ought to do. In other words, this is the thing that happened and you ought to do the same. Or just this is the thing that happened, but you, not necessarily you should do that. And in order to understand Scripture and understand what's going on, you have to be able to divide between the two and understand, right, and discern which are those things that which we ought to emulate, which we ought to practice also, which are those things that we are just being, it's just being described to us or maybe we even we shouldn't be doing. And as we go through, we've been looking at that type of thing. So, uh, the, it's really just telling the story of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the church. And he is still working in the church. And he's working here with us, with these people. And we see it all the time. The transformation of life. From death to life. From addiction to freedom. All of these things we see happening. Healing, moving forward, growing. Um, we've seen amazing things God is still working. The Holy Spirit is still active in Portland and Vancouver and Camas and Washugal. Absolutely. And he's going to continue to be. He's going to continue to be. So as we get into it, I want you to think about something. Have you ever felt left out? Have you ever felt like you did not belong in whatever, whatever it is, whatever group it was, right? Have you ever had people around you, you've been around folks, Who made you feel small and unimportant? How about the other side? You ever been in a situation where you intentionally made other people feel small and unimportant to make yourself feel more important? Sometimes we separate ourselves to make us feel better, right? We may not be the best, but at least we're better than these ones. And we sort of do this thing, and some of you are probably thinking, well, at least I'm not as weird as Pastor David. And I'm thinking, well, at least I'm not as weird as the people in the loony bin. The people in the loony bin are like, well, at least I'm an orange. Um, (laughs) Let you take a minute with that one. So um, most of us have probably felt left out at some point in our life, right? We felt unwanted. We We got picked last or we got picked on, whatever the case was. And in those moments, which are painful moments, much more painful than physical pain, Real, serious, deep pain in those places where we feel like we are rejected. People don't think we're good enough. People don't like us, don't love us, don't care about us. Those are rough moments. And I want you to think about in those moments in life, if all of a sudden the script had flipped. And those who were rejecting you, those who were not treating you well, all of a sudden treated you like you were very important and loved you, and cared about you, and what it would be like to move from being in that one place emotionally to being in the other place. So as we read through this, I want you to think about that, okay? So last week we were um, with Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They uh, had gotten to Perga in Pamphylia, and John Mark bolted, right? Left, went back to Jerusalem. We spent a lot of time talking about that and what the implications of that were as we studied that. Now we are in verse 14 of chapter 13, and we'll start with verse 14. So here we go. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. It's map time. So remember, they left Antioch in Syria, sailed to Cyprus, went across the island of Cyprus to Paphos, right? They left Paphos and traveled north, up into Asia Minor, to Perga. Now they've left Perga and traveled north to Pisidian Antioch, okay? It's all there for you on the map. This was technically in an area called Phrygia, but this Antioch was actually called Antioch toward Pisidia because they wanted to make sure people didn't misinterpret it with Antioch in Phrygia, which was on the Meander River. So I've just told you about three Antiochs, and you're going, why are there so many Antiochs? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I don't know, why are there so many Portlands or Newports? Um, Or even Antiochs, there's actually a bunch of Antiochs in the United States. I don't know why we name more cities, you know, the same thing, but there were a bunch of them, apparently. This one is Antioch and Pisidia, okay? This would have been a difficult place for them to travel, okay, mountains, mountains to climb over. I don't even like to climb stairs. You know, frankly, I don't really like the escalator. It takes too long, right? And, and so these guys had to take a very serious journey in order to bring the gospel to this new place, this new place. Um, this is a wealthy city, a very, very um, wealthy and kind of moving forward city In the territory of ancient territory of Phrygia. But this is at the time, this was actually the Roman province of Galatia. You may have heard of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, that's these people, right? The people in this area. that's who Paul is writing to. Um, this was thought to probably be the most important Roman colony in Asia Minor, okay? And it was basically a miniature Rome, it had seven districts. Uh, many Roman citizens lived there, Senators. In fact, Sergius Paulus, our buddy from a few weeks ago who came to the Lord um, when Paul blinded the guy that was, that was messing with him, he actually eventually moves to this city, Antioch in Pisidia, and, uh, and lives there. So, at the time that Paul and Barnabas are visiting this place, it is actually the apex of the growth and building and things that are going on in this city. When Paul and Barnabas arrived, it would have looked to them much like the city of Rome. It was kind of being built up. Like I say, it was wealthy, it was important, and they're they're building this place up. And there were a lot of idol worshipers there, like almost everywhere else we've looked at, right? These people are worshiping idols. In this case, they worship the emperor, they worship the moon god, Jupiter, Dionysus. They They got a lot of idols, right? A lot of folks to worship, just in case they get bored of one, I guess they had a lot. And there were many Jewish people in this city. Many of them historically would have been basically forcibly relocated there from Babylon in about 200 B.C. And, of course, those families would have grown. And so there was a large population of Jews there. And it says they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. The remains of the synagogue there in Pisidian Antioch have not been unearthed yet. So we don't know exactly what that synagogue looked like. But a common design for a first century synagogue would have been... uh, basically stone benches on about three sides, and in the middle they would have put uh, wooden benches, and they would have had the, the men and the women um, separated, sitting on, in different areas, and they would have sometimes possibly had those who were older and more distinguished sitting in the front, and those who were younger and less distinguished sitting in the back. That's, that's possibly, uh, when I, we have a picture here of possibly what, what um, one of these would have looked like, Without the benches, you don't see the benches, but you see the, uh, the stone benches around the side. That's, that's what it probably would have looked like. So let's look at the next verse, verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Okay? Preach it, basically. After the reading of the law and the prophets, so basically in the, in the worship service, in the synagogue, there were several things that happened. According to the Mishnah, the service would have consisted or included a recitation of the Shema, uh, the Shemona Ezra, a reading from the Torah, and the prophets, and the lifting up of the hands. Okay? The Shema is a prayer. It's, it's basically the oldest continuous daily prayer in Judaism. Okay? It's three different sections of scripture. It starts with that famous passage, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and it goes on from there. The Shemona Esrei means 18. It's a prayer of 18 blessings or benedictions that they would have done regularly in the service. Obviously, the Torah, the law and the prophets that we've heard about them reading here would have been read. And then the lifting up of the hands was a blessing or a benediction the priest would have given. In the synagogue, they would have raised their hand to the shoulders, their hands to the shoulders in the temple to the forehead. That was the way that they did in in, in blessing um, the people and giving a benediction. After this stuff, after the Torah, the reading of the law, and so on, it was normal for them to get a message, a sermon, essentially. And so they've asked Paul to, and Barnabas to do this. Now, why? Because we don't like when a visitor comes in, we don't finish worship singing, and, and I point at them and say, preach to us, right? That's not normally the way it happens. But Paul, of course, as some of you know, as we've, we've studied Paul, was a very, very educated rabbi, right? Gamaliel, who was a very, very famous famous teacher was the one who Paul had been a disciple of, who he had learned under. These people would have been familiar with Gamaliel, certainly, maybe even Paul. Um, But Paul was a very, very educated Jewish man. And so when they knew that he was in their midst, they would have certainly wanted to hear from him. And they offered him the opportunity to speak. They may get more than they bargained for. Um, So let's look at the next verse. Verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. This is something that you would have done. Uh, a good orator, a good preacher, speaker at that time would have stood up, would have motioned with the hand as they spoke. And, a, and he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. He is referring to the Jews, and then he says, you who fear God. Now, we've talked about God-fearing Gentiles. So in this city full of Romans, full of Gentiles, some have become God-fearers. Followers of the one true God. Some have become proselytes. Some are just God-fearing Gentiles. Lots of these people are here in the synagogue, and he's addressing all of them. Let's look at the next uh, verse there in verse 17. It says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. So he's starting out by sort of, he's, he's, he's reaching common ground. He's finding the commonality. Hey, the God of our fathers, let's talk. Remember when God did this for us? We're his chosen people. And, he's, and so he's drawing them in. He's drawing them in. He's about to kind of go through a, a rough sketch of the history of Judaism. Of course, he's going to lead it to Jesus. They don't necessarily know that, right? But here he is, and he's, and he's drawing them in. Hey, let's talk about this history that we're all so proud of. And then he starts to walk through it. Let's look at the next several verses through verse 23. Now, for a time... Of about 40 years. He put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, which by the way, Paul was also from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name was Saul, which is interesting, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David. As king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Boom goes the dynamite, right? He has walked them through, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the history. This is where it is. Yes, David, we're all about that. We all know about that. And then all of a sudden, boom, he raised up a Savior. Jesus. He's just said, the Messiah has come. Not is coming, not will raise up, has raised up a Savior, Jesus. I'm guessing this sort of stopped the the room still for a minute because this is something that they may or may not have heard of. Maybe they've heard of Jesus. Maybe they've heard the resurrection stories. Maybe they've heard the miracle stories. I don't know yet. I don't know whether they have, but we can't assume that they did. But we do know that Paul comes and just drops that on them, okay? Let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 25. 24 and 25. It says, "'After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, "'Who do you think I am?' "'I am not he. "'But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose.'" these guys would have known about John the Baptist. He was a very famous guy out there baptizing the river Jordan, right? Sort of defying the powers that be for some time. So these guys have heard of John. He refers to John as someone they clearly have heard of. They know who he is. He's this famous guy. He's, He's well thought of, well respected by the people. And he says, John validated Jesus as the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, this, the, the, the deal was that a pupil of a teacher had to do all service to that teacher as a, as a slave would, except for the removing of the shoes. And so what, what is happening here is he's saying, John the Baptist didn't even consider himself worthy of doing the lowest thing, the lowest slave thing with Jesus. He wasn't even worthy of that. John, this famous man of God. So John was also saying Jesus was the Christ. That's what he's telling them. Now, let's look at uh, verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. He's saying, Jewish people, God-fearing Gentiles, proselytes, anyone who can hear me, listen, you just got the truth. I just told you the truth. Jesus has come to save. Jesus is the Messiah. Now you know. Kind of like, now you're responsible. Now you know this thing. Verse 27 and 28. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. He says, listen, I've just given you the truth. Now you're responsible for it. These other folks who Jesus came to directly, they rejected the truth and actually put him to death. And he says this. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. So he's just gone through that gospel message that we're familiar with. We talked about something called the kerygma that we find in 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 15, I'll read it to you, verses 3 through 8. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. Then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles and then Paul adds and then then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time this is the oldest thing that we know of that exists in the new testament it was going around within a very short time after the resurrection of Christ this saying this gospel saying this this uh, outline of the witnesses of the resurrection paul is basically doing that same thing here in this section okay he's giving this message he's saying listen jesus rose from the dead He proved that he was the Messiah. And I'm not just saying that. There are many witnesses, including me. You can go ask them. You can go ask them.
0: As Pastor David has said many times, acts is about facts. The things in this book are not stories or dreams. They're facts, history, with witnesses that could verify the truth. And that same truth is what we want to share with you in the hope that you too will find peace, joy, and eternal life in Christ. And if we can help you in any way, or you still have questions about all this, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions at axchurchnw.org Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll be right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate.